Welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. We'll have more information at the end of the podcast, but for now, please enjoy this week's teaching. Our second scripture reading is from Mark, chapter 1, 29 through 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed by demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout all Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Michelle. Good morning again, everybody. Um, Full transparency. Thank you. Full transparency here. Uh, As I... uh, No, Siri, I'm not talking to you. (laughs) As I uh, was preparing for this sermon, I'm reading a bunch of commentaries like we do and doing the requisite study. And several of the commentators on this passage went, you know, it's kind of disparate scenes and they're not really easy to link together. So, you know, maybe you just focus on one part of this passage or not. And I'm like, I looked at this passage and went, well, no, it's right there. Bing, bing, bing. So either this is going to be really good or I'm completely out in left field. Uh, so I'll ask for your grace on that one. Uh, we your I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, I'm going to start working on it right now. Thanks uh, to those of you, again, who are joining us here in the chapel today, and to those of you who are with us online, we appreciate you being a part of our worship here this Sunday, and it's always a privilege for me to be a part of it with you all. We are in the fifth fifth week after the Epiphany, uh, which means that next weekend is Transfiguration Sunday, and following Transfiguration Sunday, of course, the Wednesday after that is Ash Wednesday, and we move into Lent. So two more weeks of this Epiphany season, and then we're off into Lent. But while we're in this epiphany season, we're focusing on Jesus. We're focusing on his life. We're focusing on his ministry. We're focusing on his teaching, what he brought for the people that he was talking to originally, and what we today can pull out of that for us and for our lives. You may recall a few weeks ago, I preached on a sermon from 1 Samuel. We talked about discerning a call. We talked about recognizing when God was speaking into our lives and offering us a new beginning and how do we how do we lean into that? How do we you know, discern whether that's actually what's going on? Or is this something we just really want to do when we're trying to make it a God thing? Or is it something that somebody else is pushing us into that really has nothing to do with God at all? And finding that as we are in that process, Christ shows up repeatedly for us to help us discern, to help us find people in our lives with which to discern, and to help bring us the courage to run, go through the, the inevitable fear that comes with a calling. But once you've discerned that, once you've decided, okay, this thing, that, this new beginning that I'm faced with, this call that God has put on my life, okay, now what? It's a very fair question. And we didn't get to get to that 
few weeks ago. But I think in this passage, when I say I'm looking in there and I see ding, 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 three things right there, I'm seeing pointers. I'm seeing ideas for what is it that we do when we've discerned this call, when there's this pull on our lives, when there's this new beginning in front of us. What do we do with that? In this passage from Mark, we find those three things. Now, a little bit about Mark quickly before we get into those three things. Pastor Kara made a point last week that she had the preceding verses to this. It's the very first thing in this passage is after they left the synagogue. So the scene was in the synagogue last week that, that she talked about. And she made a great point that I want to reemphasize, which is Mark is, the fourth, Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. And so as such, he packs a lot into many fewer words than other Gospel writers. And that, that creates this fast pacing. Jesus does this, then he does this, then he does this, then he does the other thing, and off and off and, off, and on we go. It goes fast. And yet in Mark especially, although we also see this in other Gospels, there's this slow build to Jesus actually revealing who he is. It's like he's pulling back on the reins and saying, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. And that creates a tension, right? We're in this fast-paced Gospel, and yet Jesus is saying, no, wait, 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 wait. Why? Why is that there? Why is Jesus doing this slow burn to reveal who he is? The answer to that question we'll find as we go through these three pointers that I'm talking about in this particular passage. So we'll get that answer at the end. But I said, I keep saying there's three pointers here. There are, there's three ideas that I want to highlight in this passage for what do we do as we discern God has put a call on our lives. There's a new beginning in front of us, now what? Well, we follow kind of the example of Jesus, right? And so what does he do? He leans in, that's number one. He leans into that call. He leans into that new beginning. He's also very intentional about resting. We're going to talk about that. And he's in that resting, he finds this way to recenter himself and remember and remember what his call actually is. He, he leans in, he's intentional about resting, and he remembers what his call actually is, okay? So let's go into those three each individually. He leans in. Jesus' call, and he says this repeatedly, we see this repeatedly in the, in the text, is to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom to everybody. That's, that's the point of his ministry, right? Yes, death, resurrection, forgiveness of all sins, that's, that's you know, a major part of things. But while he's here, while he's teaching, what he's teaching ultimately is, here's what the kingdom is like, and you can be part of it and live it out right now. That proclamation was the, heart, was the core of his ministry. And we see that again repeatedly in last week's portion with Pastor Kara. In Mark 1.15, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. In our passage here today, and look at verse 38, he talks about proclaiming the message of God, the kingdom of God, for that is what I came to do, he says, proclaiming the kingdom of God in its midst. In Luke chapter 8, the author of that gospel summarizes Jesus' entire ministry by saying he's here to proclaim and bring the good news of the kingdom of God. And in Luke 10, when Jesus sends the disciples out to go preach, he tells them to tell other people that the kingdom of God has come near to you. We see this over and over and over in the, again in the gospels. His call is to proclaim the coming of the kingdom. Now, he can do that verbally, and he does do that verbally, but he can also do it by living it out. There's an old passage that's, that's associated to, uh, I think it's uh, St. Patrick. 
It's not actually, he didn't actually say this, but it's this great passage nonetheless, where he says, always be preaching the gospel and when necessary, use words. How we live it out, how Jesus lived it out, was every bit as important as what he said. And that's balance that he's trying to strike. So in this particular passage, we have Jesus not only saying, I'm here to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God, but living it out. And one of the ways he lives it out is through healing. Because it says in Revelation chapter 21, he will wipe every tear from their eyes, death will be no more, mourning and crying will be, and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. In the kingdom, no more death, no more pain, no more crying, none of that. How do you represent that in the here and now? You heal people of their sickness. You cast out whatever evil spirits are affecting them. Jesus is living it out, living the kingdom out in their midst. This is what it looks like. Not just telling them that, but showing them that. And so we get to this passage here today, and we see right away in verse 31, after they left the synagogue, they go to Peter's house, Peter and his brother's house, where their mother-in-law, or Peter's mother-in-law is living. Presumably she's widowed, and that's why she's living with them. And she's got this fever. And of course, in that time and place, fevers were deadly. But Jesus comes along and picks her up, bang, healed. And I noticed Michelle paused. I don't know if this was on purpose. It was. Okay. So side note, just to address it, Jesus heals her. And what's the first thing she goes and does? She starts serving. Now, <laughs> if you're thinking, really, we got to have the woman in the kitchen? Really, that's the thing, right? Other... That's fair. That's fair to wonder that. But remember, Jesus says he came to serve. He served her by healing her. She's now serving others. It's a pay it forward kind of thing. That's what we're going for here. This wasn't patriarchy and it's one, all of its wonder. This is Jesus serves first. Jesus serves all of us. And we are then called to serve. That's what we're aiming for there. But fair if you wonder. You would think. You would think after the fever. Uh, you know what? And if she had taken, maybe, you know, here's the other part of, of the gospel, especially again with the pacing of Mark. There's a lot of stuff that happens after a period before the next sentence starts. So for all we know, she got a nap in and then. So here's the thing. She, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then word gets out into the city of Capernaum and people start showing up. It says after sunset, so this must have been on the Sabbath, right? Sabbath is sunset Friday to sunset Saturday. So we're assuming that that's why the sunset was important there. So they waited because you're not supposed to heal on the, sun, on the Sabbath, even though he already did. So people wait, and then they start showing up from around the city to be healed, people that are sick, people that are carrying evil spirits. Jesus could have stopped after Peter's mother-in-law, right? We're saying that he's living out his call. He's leaning into his call. He's living out his call. Part of that is healing. Part of that is death and pain and mourning are no more. Well, he's done that, and he could have let that story be the thing, and people could have heard the story, and the story could have spread, and that would have accomplished what he was there to do, right? He doesn't do that. He leans in fully in that moment, and all the people, it says the entire city showed up around the door, which I'm sure is hyperbole, but it can feel that way if, you know, your house is that full. It feels like there's an entire city there, right? All these people who were sick, all these people who had unclean spirits show up, and he leans in and heals everybody that shows up. And that's the point. He doesn't just do his call. He doesn't dip his toe in the water. He doesn't do it halfway. He leans in. And that's an example for all of us, right? 
I'm a very cautious person by nature. I dip my toe in the water all the time. But when, when God's put a call on your life, when God's asked you to do something, you've heard the, the cliche, right, that if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right. The corollary here is if God put a call on your life, if God's put a new beginning in front of you, it's worth leaning in and giving everything you've got for it. And yeah, that's going to be scary. And yeah, you're probably not going to know what the end of that thing looks like. And that's terrifying for somebody like me. When I was pondering whether I was going to seminary or not, I felt like I needed to know what the end game was in order to justify the money that I was going to be spending on it. And a very wise individual and former elder here at Genesis said, guess what? You don't get to know that. Five years from now, and of course this was pre-pandemic, the world may look like a very different place. (laughs) Yeah. You just don't know. So yes, it's going to be scary. And yes, you're not going to know what the end's going to look like. And yes, 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 yes. It's still worth leaning in and giving everything that you have. And that's part of the trust piece that we talked about a few weeks ago. Christ is in that call. And Christ is in that call to be there and say, yeah, I know this is scary. Yeah, I know that this feels like it's going to be hard. But you can do it, and I'm going to be with you through it. And trusting in that and leaning on that is how you're able to lean in to whatever this call is. So Jesus has leaned into his calling to proclaim the kingdom of God and its coming. And then our scene suddenly shifts. He's healed all these people, and then it's the next morning, and bang, he's off to some desolated, deserted place to be alone. He's intentional about resting. That's the second piece. There's two things I want to say about this. One, and it's the less important of the two, I have a theory that Jesus was an introvert. Now, I mentioned this on the radio earlier this week, and my host accused me of projecting. And there's at least a 32% chance that he's right about that. Can maybe make a case for a higher percentage, but it's possible. But look, this happens repeatedly in the Gospels. Jesus does something big, whether it's a miracle, whether it's preaching to a huge crowd, whether it's feeding people, whatever it is, and then he goes off to pray someplace. He goes off by himself. We see this over and over and over again. And I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, as a card-carrying introvert, that's how it works. We don't hate people. We don't dislike groups of people, mostly. (laughs) But it costs us energy to be social. And so once that's happened, once we're social, once we've preached a sermon, we like to go home and be by ourselves for a little while. We like to rest and to recharge and to recenter ourselves. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. That's the less important of two things. The more important thing is to understand that the Greek word here, I know I'm going to get nerdy for a minute, but the Greek word here for that deserted place that it talks about is eremos. And it's the same word Matthew, Mark, and Luke use when they tell the story of Jesus going off into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. That wilderness, Eremos. This deserted place, Eremos. The interesting thing is that when you, the area where Capernaum was, if you look around, there's no wilderness around there. It's very much a city, and there's very much suburban areas around it now. There, was, there wasn't a wilderness. There wasn't a desolated place. So what are they talking about here? Why, why use Eremos, that same word for this other story? Well, what happened during the 40 days and 40 nights out in the wilderness? Jesus was tempted. Now imagine he's just healed a city full of people. He's very much human. Maybe he's better at resisting temptation than the rest of us, but that doesn't mean he doesn't feel it. You've just healed an entire city full of people. There's a pull towards celebrity there and to sort of bask in that limelight. 
hey, I'm, look, I'm pretty awesome. Look what I just did. I imagine, what if Jesus felt that in that moment? What does he do? Off to the Aramos, right? Because what does that allow him to do? That allows him, one, to pray to God for the help and for the power and for the courage to resist that temptation, the same way he resisted it in the wilderness with the devil. And it gives him that time to rest and to recharge and to recenter himself. And that recentering is, is important. It's not just another R word. I do love me some alliteration. So rest and recharge and recenter sounds great, and it's good rhetoric. But that recentering is important. Because along with the energy that you get from that rest and from that recharging, you also have time to get to our third point, which is to remember what your call actually is. That's the recentering. So he's out in this desolate place. The apostles come and find him. And in verse 37, they're saying, hey, there's a bunch of people back in town looking for you. Presumably, because there's more healing to be done. And what is his response in verse 38? Nope. Time to go to other towns. Wait a minute. Why wouldn't Jesus want to go back and heal? heal? Healing's good, right? Why wouldn't you go back and, and heal more people? Because he remembers what his call actually is. Remember what we said at the top. The call is to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God to everybody. Not just to Capernaum. He could have stayed in Capernaum. He could have just sat there and let people come to him. The stories would have spread about this miracle worker and this healer. People would have come from all around. And then more people would have loved him, right? Because he's doing this healing. It's an incredible thing. Isn't that great? The problem is that healing in and of itself was not the only thing he came to do. It's not the only thing he came to do. His focus again, his call again, was to proclaim the good news and the coming of the kingdom of God to everybody. Not just the people in need of healing, not just the people who wanted to hear that message, but to everybody, and perhaps especially to those who didn't want to hear the message. He had to tell them too. It would have been easy to stay in Capernaum where everybody loved him because he was doing all this healing. He could have stayed there and had more people who wanted to hear what he had to say show up. But it wasn't just them that he needed to proclaim this message to. The message needed to be proclaimed to everybody, even the people that didn't like him, even the people that didn't want to hear the message, even the people that were going to be so angered by what he had to say that they were going to kill him. The message had to be spread to everybody. And that meant he couldn't just sit in Capernaum healing people the whole time. Dr. Aaron Dufault Hunter is a professor of Christian ethics at Fuller Seminary. She wrote a fantastic commentary on this particular passage. And there were three things in there I wanted to share with you. The first thing she writes is, God's good gifts can become ends in themselves that distract us from our broad and rich mission. The healing in and of itself could have threatened to distract Jesus from the bigger call, from the bigger message. He needed to recenter himself. He needed to remember what the call actually is. Healing's great, and it's part of it, but it's not the whole thing. It's not the whole thing. Dr. Hunter continues, she writes, just as people begin to seek out Jesus for only one thing, here as a miracle worker, we sometimes limit ministries to fit others' demands and others' immediate desires and to bolster a sense of our own worth as we welcome back our kids. Hello, kiddos. 
I want to read that again for you. Just as people begin to seek out Jesus for only one thing, here is a miracle worker. We sometimes limit our ministries. We sometimes limit our new beginning, our call, to fit the demands of others and their immediate desires and to bolster a sense of our own worth. Again, this is the temptation for him to stay in Capernaum, right? People wanted healing. He could meet that need. And he could bolster, bolster his sense of worth, right? Look at I'm doing this great thing. Isn't this exactly what you want me to do, God? Yeah, and that's not the center of your call. Finally, she says, we need to discern when some tasks, even good ones, are better left undone, at least by us. God's got the plan, right? God's figured out how the pieces are moving. We're not the only piece on the board. There may be good things that we could do, but if they're not the center of our call, maybe it's best to leave that for somebody else. God's going to make sure it gets covered. We don't have to do everything. We have to do what we are called to do. That's the recentering. That's the remembering what the call is, and we need to do that every bit as much as Jesus needed to do that. So when there's a call, when there's a new beginning, remember there's these three things that you can do. And by no means do I suggest that this covers everything that you can do. These are pointers. These are ideas to lean in, to remember to rest, to be intentional about resting, and to remember what your call actually is. Now, I said at the very beginning that there's this tension in the gospel of Mark. The fast pace of the story while Jesus is pulling back on the reins and saying, nope, not yet, not yet, not yet, in terms of revealing who he is. And the natural question that comes up there is, why? Why is Jesus waiting? Why is Jesus pulling back on those reins? Why is he being slow and deliberate? Why is this a slow burn? The answer is because he remembered what his call actually is. You have to understand that in that time and that place, people's expectation for the Messiah was that the Messiah was going to be a new David was going to be a warrior king, was going to raise up a grand army, destroy the enemy, slaughter the Romans, and put the right people back on top. As I do scare quotes, very importantly there. That was the expectation of the Messiah. Fortunately, now we don't do any sort of trying to slaughter our enemies and put the right people back on top. That isn't a thing anymore. That was the expectation for the Messiah. Jesus understood That isn't at all the Messiah he came to be. But he also understood that if he revealed himself too quickly, if people saw the miracles and didn't hear the teaching that came along with it, that they'd think, okay, here it is. Here's our our David. And they would try to make him king. They would try to put him on top of the very earthly power structure that he came to dismantle. It's not just about the miracle. It's about the teaching that comes along with it. And he understood that had to be a slow burn because this expectation was so ingrained in folks that to get them to see a different perspective, to get them to see a different idea for the Messiah required him to do this slowly, to make sure they saw the miracle and heard the teaching. It wasn't enough just to hear the teaching. It wasn't enough just to see the miracle. Those two things needed to be inextricably linked in people's minds. And that meant this slow revelation. And he was able to stick with that and to be faithful to that because he remembered his call. That's what we need to take out of this 
passage. That's what I saw as soon as I looked at this passage. We can lean in to whatever God asks us to do and really do it with all of our hearts. And we can be intentional about resting and recharging and recentering ourselves so that we can remember what the call actually is and what it is we are here to do, what it is for us individually and as a community to do. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Church Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. Creating opportunities for our community to respond from wherever they are in their faith formation. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary and a church calendar because they anchor us in something which can hold us no matter what life throws our way. Our goal is to become ordinary apprentices of Jesus who are learning to love God, ourselves, and others wholeheartedly. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit genesiscove.org.